been lounging, lounging with Skipper. <laughs> You've been lounging, lounging with Skipper. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to another episode of Lounging with Skip. Sitting here today with a man that's been uh, doing his thing for quite some time in the entertainment industry. Um, you know, I met this guy like about a year ago. And we just kind of kicked it off, come to find out it was Frat Brothers, and uh, just kind of moved forward from there. Um, so I hit him up and was like, hey, I need for you to come lounge with me, get on the podcast. And he was like, I'm with it. Let's do it. I want to uh, introduce you all to the chief content creator, Brett Dismuke, of the chief content creator of UMC, Brett Dismuke. What's going on? What's up with it? What's happening with it? Man? Oh, man. You doing all right? Man, aging gracefully and tastefully. That's you know what's up. That's what's up. That's what's up. That's what's up. Yeah. That's what's up. Life's good. Everything is chilling, huh? Yeah, man, you know, just embarking on uh, a new day, you know, and and right now you see streaming services, cable networks, digital platforms, they keep popping up, yeah. you know, every other week, yeah. which is which is fine. Yeah. It's, it's, it's love. It's great. Because, you know, that that keeps the business turning, mm-hmm. you know, steel sharpens steel, that yeah. type of thing. So if you don't have any competitors, mm-hmm. then you the next one to go out of business. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So 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 before yeah. we even get into all that, let's let's get a brief um, give me a brief background on you know where you come from, right. where you're from. So uh, I'm I'm from Chicago, Illinois. Chicago, Illinois. Uh, south side to the fullest. Um, you know, I, I left Chicago uh, after high school. Okay. What, high, what high school did you go to? For those I, out there, okay, I went. I went to Whitney Young. Okay. You know, I think the only high school in Chicago. Mm. Uh, you know, Shay. <laughs> no, uh, no. You know, it's funny in Chicago. Uh, which high school you went to is a big deal. Right. You know what I mean? Like That's the same way they were saying Louis. Yeah, yeah. Even after, way after, you know, I mean, we just had our 25-year reunion. Okay. But, you know, we, we t- still talking that smack. Yeah. You know yeah, what I yeah, mean? Yeah. So, but yeah, so went to Whitney Young. Um, and then from there, I knew I wanted to go into the music industry. So before that, so okay. back in high school, mm-hmm. um, what was your first, um, or even grade school or junior high, what was your first <laughs> introduction in music? In music. Well, so my mom and my aunt, uh, on the side, they were singers in a band okay. that traveled around the city of Chicago. Mm, what name of the band? Uh, uh, ooh. Uh, oh, uh. I actually, wait, was it Cashmere? I think it was Cashmere. Cashmere. I think it was Cashmere. Okay. But man, but but you know what? This was, I was like, you know, three, four, five, six. Mm. You know what I mean? So I would be at the rehearsals and the performances by default. At five years old. Yeah, you know, because, okay. you know, hanging out in the crowd while my mom was on stage singing, like the crowd was the babysitter. Mm. You know what I mean? So, um, so I just... Got in the mood of music, um, you know, from being around it all the time and playing around with the instruments. And was there a specific uh, genre you listened to? Because you know, around that time, like hip hop was kind of just so. Like, you know, I'm 
I'm an R&B head. Okay. You know, and 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 I and I love my hip hop. I love my rap, but R&B is supreme for me. Mm-hmm. You know, so around that time. Yeah. Who, who was some R&B that you were listening to? My, well, so I went. I used to go through. My mom still had damn near the entire Motown catalog okay. on 45. Right. Right. So I would spend all them 45s um, in the basement. Playing, <clears throat> playing on, your, on your record player? Yeah, on, on the record player. So I, I would play all the Motown stuff. And then, you know, early to mid 80s, you know, vinyl was real big. So I would play the 45s, but then I would play the 33s mm. of the albums, mm. you know, and listening to Luther and Whitney and DeBarge and Midnight Star, Atlantic Star. Uh, but then and, but then I started having, you know, people my age that I was fans of. So that's how I started getting into New Edition, okay. you know. So, um, so, okay, so you were seeing, so New Edition, when they came out with uh, Is This The End? Right. And all that. That's Candy when, Girl Pop. That's when you were like, whoa, what is this? These are guys right. my age. Yeah. Doing this. Yeah. Okay. And so now up until that time, now you gotta remember, I'm playing the forty fives mm-hmm. of the Jackson Five. Okay. So they were my age too. Right. Okay. But it was right, right. twenty years before. Right. Well, well maybe not twenty, maybe about fifteen. Yeah, about fifteen years before. But on record, yeah. they were my age. Yeah. yeah. So I naturally transitioned from the Jackson Five. And, and, and the barge into new edition and, now, and I, the boys. I'm and, hearing, now, I'm yeah. hearing, now I'm hearing you speaking on you know the fact of you know the kids. And, you, do you think it was that high pitched voice you were hearing? Because even with the barge, right, right. You know what I'm saying? That high pitched voice, you it, it made you feel like these were kids that you were listening to, right? And that's what gravitated versus it being somebody singing with a deep voice. So funny you say that. Um, the, the bottom dropped out of my voice in between the summer between seventh and eighth grade. Okay. So up until seventh grade, I was singing Michael's parts. I was singing Ralph's parts. Okay. I could, you know, do El DeBarge. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, after the summer uh, of my seventh grade year, my voice dropped to this. Okay. And it was devastating. And now, around what year was this? This was this was like 88, 88. Okay. You know what I mean? And so, and and this is now, in my opinion, the greatest year of R&B music in the history of music is 1988. 1988. Yeah, like greatest year. So that's any heartbreak, new edition. That's don't be cruel, Bobby Brown. That's That's Keith Sweat. Keep Sweat's first, make it last forever. That's in effect mode. Okay. That's Guy's first album. Mm. You know, plus we had Whitney and Luther, and I'm not even gonna get into LL and Heavy D and all that, but I'm just saying R&B, like Johnny Kemp. Levert. Levert, what? Listen, Levert, (laughs) My Forever Love, Johnny Kemp just got paid. Like, 88, it was popping. Because at that time, hip hop wasn't really, you know, it it was was growing, you had LL and things like that, but R&B was still running. You know what I'm saying? Running right. the, the airways, ready for the world, Prince. Right. You still have Michael Jackson, came yeah. bad. You know what I mean? But you know, it's funny, because coming from Chicago, we had a couple of different uh, genres that we was rocking with. So you still had the R&B, 
Then you had house music. Then you had deep house, which was just 70s R&B. Then you had the hip hop, you know, and I mean, cause you know, back then, I mean, we was bumping Eric B and Rakim, you know, uh, 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 Run DMC, Big Daddy Kane. Yeah. You know, Public Enemy. Like these guys just came out. Public Enemy. Yeah. Oh, Daddy what? Kane, they had just came out. You know what I'm saying? 88 was a good year. No, oh, man. It was a great year. It was a great year. was a good year. So, so what happened was, so I used to be a tenor. So I was doing all, all of the Ralph parts. And then my, my voice dropped. And, and instead of accepting it, I was still trying to do the tenor parts. Wound up. Uh, and I was doing that, so let's say from seventh grade to sophomore year of high school, completely strained my vocal cords and developed polyps mm. from straining. Mm. And and the doctor, uh, you know, like, like like I said, this was like the summer after my sophomore year of high school. He was like, "Yo, so were you singing in a group? Yeah, yeah. School? So so I was I was performing. So." I got bit by the bug, you know, when I was a shorty. Then I started singing along with the records in my basement. And then my aunt had a four-track cassette studio and a a keyboard. Mm. And so I produced my first song at uh, 11. And then I joined a singing group. Um, and so it was me, my best friend, and then a female that I went to school with. Mm. So it was two guys and a girl, and we were called L.A. Crew. <laughs> Little dose from Chicago ruling the entire world. Okay. Right. That's okay. crazy. Right. Okay. That's crazy. That was kind of like some, uh, some uh, what's that, Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam kind of vibe. Was y'all kind of, yeah. Was y'all kind of hitting that? What's the other group uh, that was producing her? Um uh, full force, full force. Full force. You know, well, so back then, you know, because it was male and female, and we were both singing. You know, we thought we was like a little five star. Okay. Now that a lot of people don't remember five star, but mm. then you also had the Jets. Right, 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 right. You know right. what I mean? And so you, had you the know, Jets. remember uh, what was that? 84, 83, That was when Johnny Gill and Stacey Ladisaw yeah came out. Yeah. With the so you had the girls and the guy. It was always the girl and the guy singing right. together back and forth and. Make it last forever. Right. Oh, yeah. But Jack, shout out to Jackie McGee. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? It's funny. So, when the doctor told me, because uh, I told him, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm singing and I'm, I'm doing Ralph's parts and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, man, you're going to have to start doing Johnny's parts. <laughs> <laughs> now, not that I could sing like Johnny Gill, yeah. but just in the register. Okay. And so... So after, so I had to let my vocal cords rest for like a month. But when that month was up, I went to the choir at Whitney Young and I told my uh, choir director, I said, I have to leave the the tenor section and I gotta go down there with the baritones. And so I've been a a baritone bass ever since. Okay. Reluctantly, Mm -hmm. yeah, but, but, Catch me on a good day at karaoke. Yeah, I'll still be hitting notes. them tenor notes, yeah, yeah. you know, but it's not good for me. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, boom, you go. Okay, so high school, you, you, you're singing, you, you, your, your throat gets messed up. Well, let, well I want to throw this in too, because this day changed the trajectory of my life. 
uh, October 6th, mm. 1988, the Any Heartbreak Tour came to Chicago. And that was I'll Be Sure, Bobby Brown, New Edition. Oh, yeah. I'll Be Sure is hitting those numbers, Yeah, too. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and so I'll Be Sure. Bobby Brown Bobby and New Edition. Edition. Wow. And, and and they came to the UIC Pavilion. Okay. And, and they shut it down. And that day, I sat there after the show was over, and I was just looking up at everybody walking out. And I said, I'm going to go... I'm going to be in the entertainment business. Mm. I said, this, this, is, this is what I have to do. Mm. I need this energy in my life. Mm. So that, that's what started the quest. Because before that, I wanted to be a doctor. Mm. You know, and, and you know, because I was, I was like, yo, I want to help people. I want to make some good money, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And that night, I feel like I, I found my calling. That's what's up. Yeah. And what's dope about it is the fact that at that age, when you experienced that moment, you was able to see it. Yeah. It was like you were, it was one of those moments where you were like looking through a window. Yeah. And where you know you wanted to end up, but you were on the outside looking in. So I don't know how they knew this, but uh, a few of the girls that I went to school with, they knew where New Edition and Bobby Brown, what hotel they were staying in. For and, and they And they knew their code names because they didn't stay under their real name. Wow. So like Ralph Tresvant was Peter Rabbit, shit like that, mm-hmm. right? So, and again, we're, we're in uh, seventh grade at this point. So how they got this information, I have no idea, but that's probably another podcast. Mm-hmm. So I found out um, Bobby was staying at the Palmer House Hotel, which was a Hilton downtown Chicago. After the show, I called the Palmer House and I said, can I speak to Bobby Brown? The lady at the front desk said, we don't have a Bobby Brown, but we have a Tommy Brown. I know that's his brother. Mm. So I was like, yeah, put me through. And Tommy answers the phone. Mm-hmm. He's like, hello. And I was like, yeah, I just want to let you know my name is Brett Dismute. I came to the show tonight, and I just want to let you know y'all inspired me to go into the music business, and you know, and I just wanted to thank you. And he said, well, check this out. He said, young man, I'm glad that we could affect you in that way. He said, so always remember this. Never take any wooden nickels. And I said, I said, oh, okay. Thank, thank you, Mr. Brown, blah, blah, blah. He was all right. I expect to see you at some point later down the road. Now, here's the funny part. I didn't know what the hell that meant. Right. But I just got some advice from Tommy Brown. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until my freshman year of college mm-hmm. where I did, I conducted Montel Jordan's first interview. Okay. So... Um, I met him, you know, through the fraternity Mm -hmm. uh, while he was trying to get signed. Mm -hmm. So he got signed, you know, during uh, my first semester. Mm -hmm. So my second semester of school, I interviewed him as Def Jam's new latest signing for one of my recording arts uh, classes. And so I shared with him the Tommy Brown story. Mm And he was like, oh, he was like, that was profound. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I don't know 
what that means. Right. And so that's when Montel broke it down to me. He said, when slavery ended, uh, a lot of the newly freed men, black men, couldn't read or write. You know what I mean? Because they weren't taught that. Right. And so when they would go work, some of the the uh, employers would saw off round wooden chips and paint them silver or like a dark gray and pay them in wooden nickels. And so, and, and when they would go to the store and try to buy stuff with the wood nickels, the store owners would be like, get that out of here, that's not real money. And so what Montel told me, what Tommy was telling me was, in this business, everything isn't as it appears to be. So make sure you check your shit. And I was like, mine was blown. I said, okay, you know what I mean? But it, it took, you know, seven years later to find out what, to that, find out what that meant. So. High school, you know, okay, you stopped really singing. You changed to baritone. Changed to baritone. And you were in the, you were singing in the choir. Yep. And you were still singing in the group. So I left the group from seventh and eighth grade, mm-hmm. and I joined a group at Whitney Young in high school. Okay. And so I was a senior, and other three guys were were juniors. Now this was around the time it was like a true silk. Well, so this was around silk and shy yeah, and shy. boys to men. Yeah. So, cause troop was like seventh eighth grade. Like eight, well, I mean, it, it went into high school yeah, as well. But boys to men made it cool yeah. again for four guys to walk down the street singing a cappella. Yeah. And so we would do stuff like that. Okay. Okay. And so my senior year of high school, we w- we used to go downtown. So taking the, the train from Whitney Young, which was on the west side, we would have to go through downtown to get home to the south side. So the Harold Washington Library, downtown Chicago, it was a brand new library. Uh, this is like 92. Um, they had rehearsal rooms with pianos in them. Mm. So that's where we would go rehearse. And and you could um, uh, reserve the rooms for free. Mm. So, you know, we should go there. We used to go there like, you know, two days a week after school. And one day we're singing and it's these three ladies in the room next door. And I hear this piercing soprano coming through the wall like these are supposed to be soundproof rooms mm-hmm. and I mean it's like I'm like I've never heard anything like this so I go out go to the so the front door of these practice rooms it was a clear door okay. so you could see in yeah. so I walk next door and I'm looking at these three ladies sing and the piercing voice that I heard was Coco it was SWV <laughs> so they were in in Chicago, so their first album was out. Okay. And they were rehearsing for a performance they had that for night. Real? Wow. And so I knocked on the door, and and I was like, "Yeah, you know, we're in a singing group." That was them, you know yeah. So at that time, they only had uh, one single out right here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, and I, matter of fact, 
week may have just dropped, mm-hmm. maybe, because I, I knew it. Mm-hmm. But I bought the album yeah. off of the first single, so I, I knew the whole album. Mm-hmm. So I knocked on the door. I was like, yeah, me and my guys, we next door. We in a singing group, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I have your album, blah, blah, blah. I started singing, um, 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 not right here, what's the other one? Uh, uh, now nah, I'm so into you. Well, yeah, I'm so into I'm you. So, I'm so it, right, yeah, right, right. And then and then they, and then the three guys hopped in, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like in heart, and they was like, oh. So they was like, oh, so y'all can sing for real. So then they was like, sing something else. So we sang like three songs. We did like Shy, Forever Fall In Love. Then we did End Of The Road. Then we did like Let's Get It On or something. And they was like, oh, that's dope. We're having a show tonight out in Calumet City. Uh, well, actually, uh, uh, I think Dalton. Uh, come down. So the other three guys was juniors, but they was like church kids. Okay. So, and this, this is school night. My mom was a cop. She mm. wasn't ever home. So I, I was rolling. Mm. So I rolled down there by myself. Mm. They let now now mind you, I'm 16. Yeah. Because I was on Taj's list, they let me in. Mm. And you know, I hung out while they performed at the club with SWV. While they performed it. Yeah, like, you know, and, and it's crazy just looking back like that don't, little things shit like, like that don't happen. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. little, little things like that that kind of like it, it was really meant for you, correct, to experience that, correct, to exactly, kind of, to kind of form that reminder to yes. you of what you experienced October 6, '88. It all happens for because so so in my mind, think about this. So you know, from the new edition show, uh, and even before that, my mom being in a, in a band, right. Then randomly doing stuff like meeting SWV. My other guys couldn't go. Right. I'm down there solo. Mm-hmm. But this is just serving as more, you know, inspiration mm-hmm. for me to keep chasing that dream. Yeah. A year later, I go to college. Okay, so uh-huh. what made you what what made you decide to go to college? Well, obviously, to go to college out here. You know. So I wanted to go into the music business, but I was tired of the snow. And so I was like, I'm not messing with uh, New York. And so I got a one track mind that I was like, I'm going to LA. And what school did you go to? And, and, and I went to uh, USC. Okay. Um, what was your major? So, my, so, I, so <laughs> I started off, so here's the thing, my father is an engineer. So, and, you know, he lived in Peoria, Illinois, or still lives in Peoria, Illinois, but um, he worked for Caterpillar. And so he told me, um, What's Caterpillar? Caterpillar, uh, they're like the largest manufacturer in the world of like tractors okay. and, and uh, yeah, farming equipment, yeah. right? And so their international headquarters used to be in Peoria, Illinois. Okay. It just moved to just outside of Chicago like a couple years ago. But so, so he said, all right, son, you're turning down full scholarships to stay in the Midwest or to go down south for me to pay money for you to go to USC. Mm. And I was like, yeah, because 
you know, that's what a business is. Mm-hmm. So, and, 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 and so that was my dad. Now on my mom's side, so I got accepted into Harvard. And, but I was like, Ma, I can't, there's no music business in Cambridge, Massachusetts. <laughs> and she was hot. And she was like, she was like, you don't understand the historical significance of that. She said, you're a black man, you got into Harvard, you're supposed to go. I said, I can't do it. Mm. And so, moms was mad that I didn't go to Harvard. My dad was mad that I didn't take any of the academic scholarships. So, you know, they both rocked with my decision, but begrudgingly, you know what I mean? Um, but he told me, he said, all right, major in, in, in uh, engineering, and when you graduate, I have a job waiting on you, making 65 grand a year. Right. I said, okay, that's cool. So I started off as a computer science, computer engineering major. So now, mind you, like when I graduated high school, I had like a 4.3 GPA. Like I was, you know, a little nerdy dude. But um, started off in engineering and hated it. Like I, I would be sitting in electrical engineering 101 and be like, why am I here? So that only lasted a semester. Mm. Second semester, I changed my major to communication. Right, same, same as me. Yeah, with a minor in music industry management. Mm. And so, and so that became my thing. Now, before you came out here to go to school, did you ever make trips out here to even see what it was on out here before you came? So, I so after I graduated eighth grade in Chicago. I moved to the Bay Area and did my first two years of high school Mm. in the Bay, Mm. a city called Pittsburgh, California. It's like 25 minutes outside Oakland. So that was my experience of Northern California. But so, and then I went back to Chicago and finished my last two years of high school at Whitney Young. What was that like in Northern? Northern Oh man, that was a, that was a cultural shock. You know what I mean? Because Chicago is the most segregated city in America, you know, but, but it works for us. You know what I mean? You, you stay in your neighborhoods. Yeah. And then you go out and you go to work and school and you go back to your neighborhoods. But, um, I went to Northern California and it was a culture shock because it was truly a melting pot. You had black, white, Latino, Filipino, you know, all kicking it together. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't, that, that, that was a hard transition for me, yeah. you know, and, and, and I'm gonna be honest, it was a hard transition for me because the non-black girls was on me mm-hmm. and I didn't, I wasn't comfortable with it because mm-hmm. from where I came from, when, First of all, yeah. we didn't even have yeah. those options. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's how St. Louis. Yeah, is. that's how it was for me when moving yeah. out here. It's like you you you're around it, but you're not 100 right. comfortable. Right. And so, and I would tell them, you know, I'd be like, <laughs> you gotta I, excuse me. I can't take I'm you not, home to I'm my mama. Used to this. You know what I'm saying? And I was just like, and they was like, what? And they was looking like, but but I was the eyeball. Mm. You know what I mean? Because they had all grown up mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. so they didn't see a difference mm-hmm. so but um but that that was interesting so um so, so you so making your way 
back out to California for your college years, it was like, so was there a difference between Northern California and Southern California? Absolutely. But so, so this is what happened. Um, went back for my last two years of high school to Chicago, but I knew that the record companies were in LA. Yeah. And so I applied to USC, I applied to UCLA, and believe it or not, UC Berkeley was my safety school because I had family in the Bay, but that's in Northern California. But not knowing, like, so I got into all three, but in retrospect, UC Berkeley is the hardest of those three to get into academically. But I was so focused on being in the music business, I was like, I'm going to LA. So I asked my mom, I said, Ma, I wanna go on campus visits of USC and UCLA. So my mom back in the day was afraid to fly. So all of our family trips, we either drove or took Amtrak. <laughs> so the week of Thanksgiving, and this is my junior year of high school. No, I'm sorry. This is no, this is uh, my senior year. Um, what year is this? Oh, uh, 92. So, so November so 92. So you're looking at 27 years ago. Yeah. So This month. This month, right. So November 92, my mom's got the Amtrak tickets the week of Thanksgiving. We took the two-day Amtrak ride to L.A., landed in L.A., or arrived in L.A. on Thanksgiving, did the tour of USC and UCLA on Thanksgiving Day. Mm. So there were no students around. Mm. You know what I mean? But and so it's me and her walking around campus. Wow. And but but check this though. Um the LA riots had just happened not too long before that. So when we're look uh you know looking around LA it's still burnt, burnt down buildings and stuff like on Crenshaw and Florence and, and all that type of stuff. And, and, and exactly, you know what I mean? And I even thought about it for a second because you know, at that point, Boys in the Hood was really what we knew of LA. And it just so happens. So I felt like this was my life playing out outside of the football segment, but watching Boys in the Hood and the USC recruiter mm. came to Ricky's house Man. and I was like, I'm about to go to SC. And so, mm. and so I was like, man, this is gonna be kind of crazy. You know what I mean? Mm. And so, um, but I literally only thought about it for maybe a week mm. and then I was like it don't matter I gotta do it mm-hmm. and then so let's call it what March April 93. of 93 so I graduated in June of 93 okay. so March or April me and my friend Yolanda I I didn't I never saw the trailer to this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen. So she was like, she was like, bro, let's go see Menace. And I was like, what's Menace? She was like, it's like Boys in the Hood. I said, okay. And we went. That came out. That movie came out that that summer, like 
June or July of '93. It was it had to be a little bit before that because the day after the day after. Yeah, we gotta look it up because the day after graduation, I left and went to California. Okay. So, bare minimum, it had to be May of '93. May of '93. Yeah. So, so why are you looking at it? Mm -hmm. So, I go into the movie theater, and I'm sitting there with my mouth open the whole time. I'm like, wait, this is where I'm about to go. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And I was like, yo. And then she's looking at me like. Are you sure? Right. She was like, it's not too late. Because she was going, um, I think she was going to U of I. She was like, it ain't too late. You can come down state with me. I was like, shit. You know, uh, I was like, nah. You know, I'm going to follow through. It's interesting how it was all these signs of negativity mm. pouring into, into, your, into your vision. Right. Before you actually got there to maybe kind of deter you and right, distract you right, 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 yeah. from where you su were supposed yeah. to head, be headed. Because somebody else would have took that like, nah, I'm cool. Right, right. And went another route. Do you see how life in itself, one decision yep. can alter yep. the whole entire Man, scope? It, so, and I look at it like because I was stubborn, you know what I mean? I I fell into exactly what I wanted to do because I because and, and I'll take it a step further so I got to college and you know so I, I, I joined the fraternity but in doing so I met Montel Jordan right okay Cause I'm okay this up. so okay well, well, point, wait, wait, before point, you say that, okay, well, I'm gonna throw out three names to you: Montel Jordan, Prentice Penny, John Singleton, all from the same chapter. That was my introduction. May 26th. Okay, there it is. <laughs> there it is. Wow. Yeah, because I knew it was right before graduate. So, but, but that that those were the type of guys I met. When as you came as out soon here. as I got to LA, okay. you know what I mean. So it was more confirmation. Like now, this mind you, this before this before you became a new. Well, this was during the process of becoming a new. Okay. Because all three of them were already new right. from the USC chapter. Mm -hmm. Well, Beta Omega, yeah. which was USC LME Paradise. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we saw the movie. He's like, you know what? Bump that. I'm still going. Mm -hmm. Boy, you came out. How how soon after you came out that fall of '93 did, did, did you run into you know Prentice or John or Montel? So and you were still in that mind frame when you came out and you were starting that electrical engineering. Correct. Right. But so, well, on, that was my major right. on paper to appease my dad. But when, but when did you actually transfer that across that over to communication? So my second semester. So spring '94. Spring '94. Exactly. Now, by this time, did you already have have you already met John Singleton? And so, um, I briefly met John because he was shooting Higher Learning. Mm. And I was an extra in higher learning. Really? Yeah. So I was one of the people that scattered mm, when, they, when, they, when they when shooting. they was running, when they when Remy was shooting. Wow. Um, and they shot that at UCLA. Wow. And um, 
So now the irony of it is this. John Singleton at that time was on his third movie, but we knew who he was. Because of my initiation process, I damn near spent every day with Montel Jordan and Prentice Penny. But this was before they were Montel Jordan and Prentice Penny as the world knew them. But it was the conversations that we were having about the business. So Montel was like, yo, so he called me this Mukey. He was like, Mukey, I'm going to take you under my wing so that you can see how this business is run. Here's how it comes full circle. John Singleton offered Montel his first record deal, mm. but he didn't tell you. Mm. He chose to sign with Def Jam, mm. so that was that was interesting. John Singleton. John Singleton had a record deal called uh, uh, was it Real Deal, Raw Deal, something like that. And 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 but 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 his deal, uh, I think, was like through Sony or something. Right. So Mont didn't take that. He took the Def Jam deal. So okay, so in the midst of all this, you were also by this time you were all now you're in the fraternity. Mm-hmm. Okay, by this time, so it's like boom. Okay, right. I'm, I'm, I'm freshly in. Yep. I already know. So then, boom. Montel Jordan became who he was becoming with the, this is how we do it. Right. So this will happen. And so I promise you, this is all like way bigger than me. So my. Uh, Montel got signed like December 93. So I crossed in December 93. Mm. Then he started working on his album in 94. So fast forward to the beginning of my sophomore year, um, which was August of 94. Um, I'm in my apartment and I'm watching video jukebox. Mm And there was a video that came on called This Little Game We Play by Subway. Yeah. Now, remember, I'm the biggest new edition groupie on earth. Yeah. I looked at the Chiron when the video went off. The Chiron. The Chiron is when, when, so when music videos used to come on, the name of the song, the artist, the label, and the director, Mm -hmm. depending on the 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 show, will pop up. Yeah. Yeah. So... It said, this little game we play, Subway. Then it said, Biv 10 slash Motown Records. Right. And I looked at my roommate, who was my line brother, Mm -hmm. and I said, Michael Bivens has a record label. Mm -hmm. I called information and asked for Biv 10 Records. But wasn't, whatchamacallit, Boys to Men and them on Biv 10? No, so... Boys to Men was signed directly to Motown. Okay. So he took Boys to Men to so Motown. The kids, the ABC. ABC was on Motown. Okay. So then after he had two successful acts, yeah, got a label. Um, Gerald Busby gave him his own label. Okay. Subway was the first act on Biv 10. Okay. And then 702 was the second mm, act. Okay. Mm. So, so, so here's the small world. Um, I call information and ask for Biv 10 Records. They give me a number. I call the number. A guy answers the phone. He's like, hello? And I'm like, yeah. Um, you know, my name is Brett Dismuke. I'm a sophomore at USC. I wanted to know if y'all needed any, any interns. He said, can you start Monday? I said, I'll be there. Went on Monday 
It was out here. It was in LA. Their office was on Wilshire. Okay. Right? Wilshire just um, west of La Brea. Okay. This is how God works, though. Mm. Walked in the building. The guy that was on the phone, his name is Steve Cook. Okay. Steve Cook is my mentor to this day. Mm. Walked in the room. And Steve was like, oh, okay, bam, bam, bam. He was like, all right, so this is what you're going to do. He gave me, uh, uh, it was basically a stack of every independent record company in the United States. Okay. He said, go through this list, call every store and ask them, do they have the Subway record? So that was my first assignment. <laughs> so I'm sitting there at the phones. I'm working the phones, calling the retailers. Michael Bivens comes in the office. I meet Mike, I'm like, oh, this is crazy. Um, in the office at that time, so there was Michael Bivens, it was Steve Cook, it was Todd uh, uh, Bozak Rousseau, which is uh, Faith Evans' ex-husband, and then uh, Yvette. Um, what's Yvette's last name? The actress. Um, Which uh, one? Uh, Yvette, oh, let me see. Dear Yvette. Right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, let me see. Yvette. What was she in? Well, Yvette Nicole Brown. Okay. So, she's been in, um, let me see, wait, where, where's my, uh, boom, boom. Avengers. Uh, she was on the TV show Community, you know, uh, couple you know what I mean but here's the funny thing she was in the office she was Michael's assistant okay she was Mike's assistant and so before she was an actress right right and so it, you know it was just crazy but so Steve Cook um he knew I went to SC and he was like oh I went to SC and I was like oh, okay that's what's up and then I, I had been there about a month and then Montel Jordan. Like, Hold on, man. You, you. Well, no. So this is how it happened. This is how it happened. Right, wait. This is how it happened. So Montel Jordan gave me a cassette single okay. of "This Is How We Do It." Yeah. And he was like, "Yo, check this out." And so the 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 natural hustler in me. So that this is how we do it. It it already had the slick Rick sample mm -hmm. on there and everything. Yeah. So he gave me the cassette single. And I was taking that cassette single around and playing it for everybody that would listen. I was like, yo, check this out. This is that new shit, right? I took it into the office and I pulled it out. I was like, yo, my frat brother has a new song, blah, blah, blah. He was like, wait, your frat brother? He was like, I know Montel. And I was like, how you know Montel? He said, right, right, and, and then, right. And then he goes, he said, I made Montel. Uh, and I said, oh shit. Now, now mind you, I'm, I'm like a Neo. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, and so, you know, uh, I humbly asked him, I was like, I was like, wow. Good brother, yeah, where'd you quit? So he, uh, Summer 85, mm. Steve Cook wow. from the same chapter, Bait on Me. So, and, um, so, uh, after that, <laughs> I, took the cassette single and I went to the Fox Hills Mall and I'm walking through and I'm looking because some of the stores at that time, because you know, back then, 
all the stores in the mall, it was all like teenage people working in them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I saw um, at the kids' footlocker, mm. it was four like 18 to 19 year old black women in there mm. working. Mm. I went in there and they had a little boom box mm. on the counter. Mm. I said, hey, let me play this new song. I was like, you gonna love it. Mm. And the girl was like, what? And I was like, all right, I was like, I'm gonna buy some, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy some Air Max, but you gotta play this, right? So um, put it in, doom, 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 doom. And everybody in the store was like, because when it first came on, they thought it was slick red. Right. And so they they bobbing and they like, uh, so the song played. So she was like, she was like, play that again. Rewound it, played it again. People started coming into the kids' footlocker. We wound up doing that about seven or eight times, playing the song back to back to back to back. And the store was full. So it had turned into like a little mini listening party. Mm. So I went um, back to Motown at Biv 10, told Steve what I did. And then uh, there was another frat brother of mine, Tom Cunningham, who was managing. So him and Eric Dixon, they were both from BQ. They were, um, were managing Montel. And Tom had a friend named David Kimbrough that worked for Polygram. And so he told David Kimbrough what I did at Kids Foot Locker. So David was like, yo, I need to meet this kid. He brought me in the office. A month later, I was Polygram's West Coast college rep. Like it just, that's how it happened. And then from that point forward, I had a full-time gig Mm working in the music industry while I was still in school. Yeah. And then I graduated and got promoted and promoted. And so I so I, I rode that train for 10 years. Mm, at Polygram? Well, so I went from Motown to Polygram. Then Universal uh, uh, bought Polygram. And then while I was at Universal, I was responsible for all of the Def Jam stuff and the MCA stuff. Then I left Universal and went to Disney and I put out the Say the Last Dance soundtrack and all that. And okay. Yeah. So yeah. For those out out there that are listening to this episode right now, as you can see, if you know what it is you want to do, and in the midst of it, you doing what it is that you know you want to do, you start to find distractions. You start to find obstacles in your way. You know. Continue through those obstacles because you never know where your path is leading you. You know, without struggle, there's no progress. You have to struggle with the obstacles to progress in your path. So keep that, as you can see, this is a prime example of that, you know, of of how everything links up. You know what I mean? So stay focused. Now, yeah. 10 years in, Save the Last Dance, we're looking at now 2002. Yep. So from 2003, so then what happened after the Save so, the Last Dance soundtracks? Right. So I did, I did. So by the way, Montel blew up. Blew up. That song blew up. Right. They still play it today. Right. He still performs it today. Yep. 
You know what I'm saying? And you had it on a cassette. On a cassette single. Okay. Yeah. Um, before it got pressed. But this was before the beat was playing So back then, 92.3 the beat was the number one station in LA. And so, so basically, what I did with that cassette single is what over the next eight to 10 years, labels paid street teams to do. Mm-hmm. So I did some street teams, some street team promotions before they, it had a name. Now, when, and, and it's based off the fact that this was your frat brother, this was your friend. It, it was all was love. Cool. It's like, man, I like this song, you know what? I'm, I'm already have the interest yep. in being in the music entertainment, music business. Yep. Let me take that and see what I can do. Yep. And yeah. then boom, 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 boom. And yeah. it just kind of manifested itself. Absolutely. You pretty much spoke your destiny, right. you know, into the universe yeah. for it to come about in a natural, organic way. Right. It wasn't forced or anything like that. So, and, and so then I'm going to do you one better. So, so I got the job at Polygram. And so after my sophomore year, so now it's the summer before my junior year. And me and Prentice, Penny, mm-hmm. decided now, to be now, roommates. Now, okay, now, let everybody know. Who is so, Prentice? So, Prentice Penny is a director, writer. He wrote on Girlfriends, uh, Happily Ever After. But he is well known for uh, being the showrunner and the executive producer of HBO's Insecure. Um, and he also had his own uh, lifestyle show. On, on Fuse, um, uh, oh, I just blanked on it, but it was um, something, something with Prentice Penny. But anyway, he had a lifestyle show where he was showing people you can uh, um, get down and, and have nice stuff without spending, you know, a lot of money. But um, and uh, you said after we probably you all became roommates. Yeah, so we became roommates, and so the crazy part is we would be at the house. And I am this up and coming, you know, music industry dude. Mm-hmm. And everybody like knew me as, yo, you know, whether it's the access to the videos or the, or the, or the, or the CDs or the concerts, I was like that hustle dude. So I was doing events at all the colleges, all that. Uh, taking artists around to record stores. They were performing, signing autographs. Prentice had just graduated SC. All he did every day was sit at his at his computer and write for himself. And so it's 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 crazy because I see the fruits of his labor now. But you know, 20 years ago, when he's sitting there and literally He'll write a script and he would do like 20 different revisions of that script and then he would put that one away and then he would start another one and and, and i asked him because because i was all about i was like yo like are you are you selling these like what are you doing he was like i'm getting better and i was like you know what i mean so it was like it was like it was like let's say like for for somebody like me like them you know produce music makes beats mm-hmm. it's like you just make the music. You yes. just do what it is that you're doing because you enjoy yeah. doing it. Yeah. It's not really about anybody else. Right. As long as you enjoy doing it. Cutting hair. 
just do it because you enjoy doing it. Right. That's the same thing he was doing with those scripts. Absolutely. It was that was his that was his living his his life. Yep. And uh, venting it through scripts. Right. And then say, okay, boom. And he would take each one as a project of his own. Of his own. And then take that and okay, boom, now I'm gonna work on the next project. Right. And so it was funny. So he he would write print it out and everything. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, oh old school computer. Yeah. And like stacks mm. of scripts. And so and 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 he was working on his writing skill, but he was really trying to get hired as a director at the time. Mm. And so he did a couple music videos, like shout out to Jay Spencer, rest in peace. He did his video and he worked on a few things, but you know, and then he shot his first independent project um, at the house that we that we were living in. Okay. And so, and then eventually, all the things that he was doing on an independent level turned into him getting uh, a writing job on Girlfriends. Mm. And I think that changed his life. Yeah. Now, if he was sitting here, he may tell you there's something else, yeah. that, but I'm saying, but yeah. from yeah. my from perspective, perspective look, yeah. that's what changed his life. Right. And um, and I mean, he hasn't looked back since, you know. Like I said, once, you know, the things that I always, I, and I, I tell my LBs this, and they like, what are you talking about? But my thing is consistence with persistence brings existence. Yeah. If you're constantly, if you're consistent and being persistent in what it is you do, eventually you'll be seen. Right. People will see you. Right. So that brings me to um, after you left. Um, oh, Disney. Doing all that with Save the Last Day right. the soundtrack and this and the third. Now, how'd you go about coming and putting that together for the soundtrack? What does that consist of doing at that particular time? So what happened was, all right, so... I was brought over to Hollywood Records at Disney to um, head up urban marketing, what was called urban marketing at the time. And so we had a few acts that were signed to uh, Hollywood Records. So Cy Smith. I remember hearing Hollywood Records. Oh, so it was funny. So Because Hollywood Records had, had an advertisement in the Source magazine yeah, and all that. Yeah, yeah. So we did the PJ soundtrack, which was um, Eddie Murphy's Claymation mm-hmm. show. Then we had Cy Smith, Tagana, Soul Bone. Then we signed this kid called Lil J. Lil J. Lil J. Jonathan McDaniel. So, a lot of people know him now as an actor on the show Hit the Floor. Okay. I was Jonathan's product manager when he was 15 years old. Okay. You know, first single was called It's the Weekend. Oh, light skin guy? Yeah. I think I cut his hair on this uh, one show. Uh, I don't know if you know um, Bruce. Bruce uh, Walker? Bruce Walker worked at Motown when I interned at Motown. So he was running MoJazz. Bruce Walker is really good friends with Steve Cook, my mentor. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, um, Bruce is now in D.C. working for the city of D.C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's all fact. That's what I'm saying. It it all just, like, happened, right? So... Um, so I was I was doing marketing for these acts at Hollywood Records, and then the head of soundtracks, Mitchell Leave, had done a deal with MTV Films and Paramount to do these soundtracks, and 
you know, and he had done a million soundtracks before, but he 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 wanted a little assistance with the black music. What was one of the singles off the Save the Last Dance? Uh, Crazy, Casey and JoJo, You by Lucy Pearl featuring Snoop Dogg oh, and Q-Tip. Oh, we was getting it. Okay. Um, and and so okay, and I gotta say this, I gotta say this, and and, and I'm gonna say this because a lot of people don't know this. So. There is a there is a Fredro Star song mm-hmm. on that soundtrack that's in the movie, mm-hmm. um, and it's using the sample True Colors. Okay. We were so Jill Scott was supposed to sing that hook, mm-hmm. and then she saw the movie, and she wasn't down with the milk in the coffee. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, so I know this is many years later. I'm saying that on the record. Yeah, that yeah, happened. Yeah. That happened. That's we had a Jill record, and she back. She was like, "Nah." So who ended up singing? Uh, Athena Cage. Okay. Who who was Keith Sweat's protege? Okay. Who also released another single on that album? Um, and let, let me see. Let me see. Uh, but yeah, you know. So I I just. So what, I've been holding that for a while. Yeah, no, no, that's what's up. So, yeah. boom, you did that. So did that. kind of moved on. So then what did you... So we so we did Say the Last Dance. Um, don't hold this against me. We did the Pootie Tang soundtrack. Okay. 702. Yeah, check is a check. Now, hold a minute. Yeah. Now, 702, the record with uh, Pharrell, with the Neptunes there. Right. That was my choice. Yeah. Oh, listen. That song, that song, like, all, every time we go to the club in St. Louis, that yeah. song would always, always be playing. Listen, 702 had some great black hits. And to the fact, and I don't know if people, uh, you know, have seen their unsung or not, but, like, like, when you go to the club and stuff, they still play Where My Girl's At, you know what I'm saying, with Missy and... And and you know and get it together and you know and, and it's like yeah, yeah listen hey yeah, Mike, Mike did his thing with 702 yeah because uh, you said Mike Mike well because they they were initially signed to Biv 10 Records mm, okay. that okay, was his okay, second okay. signing yeah. yeah now around the time they did that get it together and all that wasn't it around the time with like Moken stuff Moken so Moken stuff was signed to Def Jam um, this was like '97. No, so Moken Steph was signed to Def Jam in '95. Right, right, right. So, um, but what about they did? A, they did their song was called "He's Mine." Yeah, yeah, yeah that was Moken Steph. So, 702 um, was actually signed in '94. Okay. Because they they uh, the song that Subway did, this little game we play, was, was a duet good. with 702. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. And then okay. and then 702. Wow was in Aaliyah's very first video, If Your Girl Only Knew, which was produced by Timbaland. I'm I'm sorry, not her very first video. Her very first video when she came back for the second album. Right. Right. And and yeah, and then in 96, 702 was the opening act for Blackstreet, Keith Sweat, and the New Edition reunion tour. And so that's when it was all six of them for the first time. Yeah, yeah, I that out. And if you saw the new edition story when they was fighting and yeah. shooting it, that was that con- that was that tour. I remember that. Yeah. I remember during that time when they came out in the front cover of the album, they were all in white. Yeah. They were on Bad Boy. No, uh, they were on MCA. The album 
with Bad Boy came out in 2004. Oh, 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 um, and that was, wasn't that on, that wasn't on Bad Boy? No, so, so, um, Hit Me Off, uh, 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 You Don't Have to Worry, uh, 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 I'm Still in Love with You. That was on the album in 96, yeah. which was all six of them. Yeah. Um, uh, it's called Home Again. Yeah. In 2004, um, it's called One Love. Okay. That's the, that's the album with... Uh, that was on Bad Boy. Mm. Bobby's not in that. Mm. And the first single was um, uh, um, It wasn't that around the Hot th- Tonight. This was a okay, right, right, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like that one twelve kind of vibe. Right. I right. think that was around the time when uh was that when when Jermaine Dupree had brought try to bring back uh Houdini. Yeah. Brought them back. Yeah. I think it was around the same time, yeah. I believe. Um so, you did the yeah. Save the Last Dance right. sounds on the Pootie Tang sounds. Pootie Tang, we did Undercover Brother. Undercover Brother. What changed the, um, you know, the path? The trajectory. As as, yeah, the trajectory. So watch this. Cockiness. Okay. So I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. So, from my days of servicing college radio DJs with vinyl, one of those DJs, I was the first person to ever send him records, and he was on a, a radio station at Palomar College. Then, when he graduated, he got a job at Z90, which was the number one radio station in San Diego. So he's at Z90, I'm now, you know, Polygram Universal, so he's moving up, I'm moving up. Then I get to Disney, he becomes the morning show in Phoenix on Power 92. This whole time that he's saying, like that he's moving up in the radio world, he's like, Brett, you have a radio voice. Come be on my show. Come be, I'm like, I'm an executive, what you talking about? Come be on my show. This is what happened. I wasn't seen eye to eye with my boss at Disney. And I'm gonna just straight say it, I, and I still believe this to, to this day, he had a problem with black people. You know what I mean? To the point, um, I actually put together this like 72 page uh, document that I submitted to HR and said, here are, here are all the things that he's done here are emails that he sent me, blah, blah, blah. I can't can't rock with this dude no more. And because I went to HR on him, he was making it hard for me while I was at Disney. So while I'm dealing with that, Chino was like, yo, come be on my radio show. So I quit Disney and moved to Phoenix to go do radio. Hmm. Okay. And you'll never believe this. And what happened? I'm driving out to Phoenix in the U-Haul. And the car stops on you. No. 
I call my boy Chino. I'm like, yo, I'm in route. I'm almost there. Bam, can't wait to get going. Because I was starting the show on that Monday. This he, is, he knew it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And he was like, yeah, I was about to call you and tell you about that. What, what, what's the problem, dog? I got fired. So I'm, dri- so I'm driving out like on a Friday. He had gotten fired that third, like the day before. And I said, so, so what are we going to do now? He said, I don't know. So, this 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 real life. So, I got to Phoenix. And I was like... So, I went to Power 92, the radio station. And was like, so wait, am I still good? And they was like, nah, it's a package deal. So, I said, alright. So, I, I immediately went to the test... Um, and took the the little standardized test that you have to take if you want to be a substitute teacher. And while I was waiting on the test results, I walked into a car dealership to buy a car. They were looking for new salespeople. I left with a job. So I sold cars for three months. Then while I was selling those cars, I got my test scores back. I passed the test. And so, because I hated selling cars. And so, I quit Toyota, uh, Camelback Toyota. And I became um, a substitute teacher uh, in Gilbert, Arizona. And then... High school. This is high school. And then, um, the principal really liked me. So, they hired me for the rest of the school year. I was a long-term sub. So, so you were a substitute teacher too. I was, I was a substitute yeah. teacher. In fact. So I did. So I did the sweeps room. So in Arizona, that's when if you're late for class, you have to go to the auditorium and sit there. You can't do anything. You just have to sit there. Yeah. You can't look. And so I ran that program. I became the assistant. Uh, I mean, um, the uh, hitting coach for the JV baseball team. So you weren't doing nothing. In, nothing with no music. Well, I was in Phoenix. Now but how, but now, now how okay. did that now how did that feel for you? Well, it it, it, it was horrible. Did, you, did you get did it kind of give you a break, a refreshing? Well, refreshing? So, so this what happened. So because I had I had a little money in the bank, so I was kind of living off of that. Okay. And so so I'm up here going to this high school every day. On some regular. I'm a teacher. Yeah. You know some, what I'm saying? Regular. And 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 so I kept applying to the Phoenix Suns. And um, um, and the um, uh, um, the Cardinals and to different like TV stations because I was like I have all this music industry experience. It has to translate somewhere in the marketing department, sales, something. Nobody will hire me. So then um, I started helping this dude promote a club. So I'm teaching. Helping to promote this little club, I started seeing some of my students in the damn club okay. with fake IDs. I'm saying, like, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, Wait, what's, what, what's going on? right? And so, and so, I was like, yo, this not the move. You know what I'm saying? Right when that happened, the rival uh, radio station, Kiss FM. 
held a contest at the mall. They were looking for their, their next DJ. Mm. On air DJ. On air DJ. So I went down to the mall and literally you're supposed to get up on the stage and they gave you two minutes. And they was like, just say whatever you want. And I took the mic. I was like, yo, this is Brett Capri. You rocking right here, blah, blah, blah. I was like, Phoenix, Arizona. And I just went into it. I won. Oh, yeah. I went down to the station. And I did my little, my, my little preliminary week or whatever. And because because it was, what they did was um, they picked five people from the mall. Each person got one day the following week. So I won that part. So next thing you know, I was doing six to 11 wow. on Kiss FM. But I hated it. Cause it, 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 it was, it was the city. It was the the format because basically right, what it wasn't like R and B. It was. It's called Churban. So Churban is a cold word for urban church music. No, no. Churban stands for crossover urban. So that's cold word for Latinos that like hip hop. Okay. But they don't do R and B. So, so I couldn't play any R and B. So it wasn't like no uh, Art Laveau. Type no, because our show right. would be dope, man. right? So dope it, it, it music. And, and, and this is no, it wasn't that. No, this this was like what, like what songs, like what format? Like it was like Power ninety. I'm mean, I mean, sorry, it was like Power one hundred six meets um uh um shit. I don't uh not coast. That's too smooth. But like I tell you, so they would play all hip hop. So at the, at this time. They would play like Nelly, okay. um, Bad I, Boy I stuff, like, okay. right? They would play that, and then they would turn around and play like, uh, yes, and Evanescence and and like some some crossover, like some alternative. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, but gotcha. no R and B. I got you. Okay, I see what you're saying. And so, but this was the biggest fight that I had with the program director. Uh huh. So from six. To like nine. I would be up here and I would keep the volume going, be like, what did y'all do today? Right? Around nine o'clock, I'd be like, Phoenix, you know, did y'all have a good day? Blah, blah, and, and I would bring it down. Yeah. The program director was like, yo, we don't have a, 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 a slow jamming, uh, Kevin slow jamming James hour, stay up here. And I was like, why do you want me to yell at people at 10 and 11 o'clock at night? And he was like, because this is what we do. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And so me and him was button heads. How, so, how long was you with the station? Um, I was a, I was officially there like nine months. Okay. And so after that, I decided I'm going back to L.A. Because I was like, I could have, because the principal of the high school, he was like, we'll give you an emergency credential, and you could become a full-time teacher for the next school year. Boom, what you want to do? And I was like, that's not me. Yeah. And so I moved back to L.A. So now... now we, how, long, how long were you gone? So I was gone basically 18 months. A year and a half. Yeah. And so I got back top of 2004. Mm. 
and and I'm looking for record label jobs. But because over that 18 month period, two year period, digital downloading had took over. It was taking over around then. Well, well, it so it actually started in '99. That was when Napster was at its biggest in 99. And then around 01-ish is when the, the record label sued Napster. Napster had to take their site down, but then they came back. But instead of offering the music for free, you could buy singles for 99 cents. That's where iTunes got their model from, Napster. And so, but because a lot of people were choosing to buy music that way, People weren't buying albums like they previously were. So what in 2004, 2005? So like, well, people were buying CDs. People were still buying CDs. Too. No, they were buying CDs, but a lot of people had stopped buying full CD albums, and they had gone to the iTunes route. Well, I I, I do remember. I think it was 2008. This is when I started buying. Um, start when I first started hitting yeah. iTunes. 2008, when Kanye did 808s and Heartbreak. Okay. And I was like, when I bought that, I downloaded, I bought that off of iTunes. Right. So he, so here are the stats. iTunes launched in 01, 2001, with 8 million music subscribers. That came over from the people that had Apple products. Hmm. In 2005, iTunes overtook Walmart as the largest music retailer in the world. 2005. 2005. And at that time, they had like, it was like 80 million subscribers to iTunes. Mm. And then, but what happened was, a lot of the labels during that time had realized that they were top heavy and they had a lot of different people you know, with different titles doing the same jobs. Because in the 90s, you know, the record labels, I mean, that was a cash cow. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, most of the labels had downsized. Mm -hmm. And because they had downsized, there just weren't a lot of music industry jobs. Mm -hmm. And so I took my marketing and sales background from the music industry And because there were no record label jobs, I applied to be the director of marketing at at Urban Works Entertainment, which was Jeff Clanagan's film company before he had Cold Black. Mm. And that's how I started in the film business. Mm. And so and so after 10 years of music, Mm -hmm. I did radio Mm -hmm. for a year, Mm -hmm. sold cars, Mm -hmm. taught substitute substitute right. And then I entered into the film business on the marketing side, and now I've been in film. 2005. 2004. 2004. 2004. And I've been doing that for 15 years now. 15 15 years. Yeah. So, what was the first um, movie that you were a part of? (laughs) That you, you know, that you were a part of? Right. Well, okay, so so let me say this. Um, when I started at Urban Works, um, we had Dave Chappelle's stand-up comedy DVD called Killing Them Softly. Um, we were doing 
the UFC, that had just become new to DVD. I was doing Darren's dance grooves, you know what I'm saying, on DVD. Um, then we hooked up with Carsey Warner and I put out The Cosby Show and A Different World on DVD. I was really proud of that. And, and, and we did Fat Albert, first time on DVD ever. Um, we, we launched a platinum comedy series. So Cedric the Entertainer, Steve Harvey, Monique, all on DVD, Mike Epps. We did everybody, Bill Bellamy, Cheryl Underwood. Um, but back then, uh, the film that was probably my favorite film was a film called um, uh, um, All About You. That, that that was our highest selling. Who all was in that? So, uh, Renee Goldsberry, who is now killing it on Broadway in New York. Like I think she just uh, won Tonys. I mean, like she she's like the woman okay. in, in Broadway uh, out there now. But um, Teron Brooks, who played uh, Eddie Kendricks in The Temptation Story. Uh, Chris Spencer, Lou Myers, and Lisa Ray. Okay. So that that, that was the cast of uh, All About You. So you've been oh you're talking about the was it the a movie a movie yeah it was a movie okay yeah so that so, yeah so you've been pretty much going about doing all that transferred over to Cold Black. Well, no. So I didn't go to Cold Cold Black. So what happened was so I so he, he, here is another scenario of stuff falling into your lap. So, I'm at Urban Works as the director of marketing. I'm there for a year. Jeff Clanagan leaves the company to go start Cold Black. Okay. Then Quincy Newell, who was Jeff's number two at the time, he was our general manager, he went with Jeff over to Cold Black. And so, myself... And the CEO of our parent company, um, which was Ventura Distribution at the time, he was like, hey, can you do acquisitions? And I had never done it before. What's acquisitions? Acquisitions. So that's the film equivalent to an A&R person in music. Okay. So they are the ones that find all of the content. Gotcha. So at the time, to put on DVD. Gotcha. So they go to the film festivals, gotcha. so on and so forth. Mm. I had never done it. And he was like, you think you could do it? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, he, and he said, just remember this. He said, acquiring product is all about relationships. Mm. He said, you build relationships with people. Mm. And he was like, you'll be very successful. Mm. I said, okay. So... I benefited from Jeff leaving to go start his own company. Mm -hmm. So in a matter of 12 months, mm -hmm. I went from director of marketing of Urban Works to the executive director of all of Urban Works, of all of it. Okay. So I was doing marketing and acquisitions, you know, and giving sales input. Then First Look Studios, bought Ventura Distribution. So we merged with First Look. So I was over there until 2007. And then the 
my former boss at First Look left First Look in 2007 and went to Image Entertainment. And he hit me up and he said, hey, we need to revamp our urban division over here at Image. Are you willing to, you know, come out here into the valley? Because First Look, our offices were in Hollywood. And I lived in Westchester by the airport. And he was like, are you willing to come out here to the valley and do your thing at Image? And I said, all right, if you let me do it, no, well, what I said, I said, I'll do it if you have to let me create my own imprint and name the division, the urban division, and I have full say so over the projects that we do. He was like, done. And so, One Village Entertainment was born. So that was the urban division that I created there. But one of the main reasons why I also took the job was because at the time, Image Entertainment, in in addition to doing CDs, they were doing... DVDs. I'm sorry, DVDs. They were doing independent... Movies. No, independent... Uh, music deals. Okay. So, here was the model. So now it's the, 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 the combination it's coming, of all. Uh, right. So, basically, if you were an artist that had a legitimate fan base mm-hmm. built in, mm-hmm. Image would pay for you to do your next album and we would service a single or two to radio and then in turn, you have new material to do at your concerts and so on and so forth. So it was a it was a give and take. Mm-hmm. And so, so I took the gig at Image because they let me start my own film mm-hmm. label and I was able to do music. Mm-hmm. So at Image, we did two mint condition records. We did uh, a Deborah Cox album. We did a Kevin Edmonds album, and we were about to do a Tyrese and a Casey and JoJo album when the owners of Image sold the company, and the new owner said, "We don't want to be in it's music always, no more." It's always something. Well, I mean, it's a, hey, listen, it's a business. They, they bought it with their own money, mm-hmm. so they had every so. But but that's how I got there. Yeah, so so I ran the Urban Division at Image. From 2007 to 2014. To 2014. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, man, you. I mean, this is. It. <laughs> I mean, this is straight up like this is. It's a journey, man. It's yeah. a For real, like story. Yeah. Like I mean, I'm just sitting up like listening to what you're telling me, just kind of like. And I'm, I'm definitely gonna have to go back in this podcast, this episode, and like, like man, because it's so much, man. Yeah, it's yeah. so much information. Yeah. So, uh, 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 so from 2014 up until now, um, you know, like, how, like, how'd you come about with her only choice and so of that nature? So what I did was uh, in 2014, uh, I left LA and I moved to Atlanta, mm. um, and I went down there to run. Another film company. Now, okay, yeah, because I, I, I looked that up. Swirl? No. Oh. So, I was running Moguldom Films. 
Who, Mogul? Moguldom. Okay. And so Moguldom was the parent company of Bossa. Okay. And they had a film division that they were launching and um, they came and talked to me and asked me would I come down there and run it. And so I went down there. Now, here's how the swirl thing happened. Because I worked one day, I met Kevin. Uh, I worked one day out here. They were doing the, the Rosa Parks. Mm, mm-hmm. what's, it, what's it behind the, the uh, movement? Uh, behind the movement. Yeah, yeah, I worked one day on that. Oh, okay. So this is what happened. While I was running the urban division of Image from 07 to, to 2014, I hired, so when we started doing original productions, I hired Swirl to be our uh, production company of record. And, and I did that because, so Russ Parr had a film called, um, uh, The Last Stand? The Last Stand. I was just watching that the other night. Yeah, so, and so I was at ABFF in Miami and I watched that movie. That was a good movie. Oh, I like. Oh, it was it was um, it Guy was Tory, Guy Tory, Darren Henson. What's uh, one girl from uh, Tammy Roman? Yeah. Um, and uh, um, yeah. So it was but it, dark. It, oh, it was very dark. Well, the premise. Anthony Anderson. Yeah, yeah. A big Anthony Anderson. Yeah. An- Anderson. Yeah. Uh, the premise was, you know comedians their lives are really sad Mm -hmm. when they're not on the stage Mm -hmm. and so it was just exploring that and Mm -hmm. Russ Parr before he was a radio personality he was a stand-up comedian Mm -hmm. and so he he, you know he knew a lot about that but so I chased Russ down after I saw the film in Miami and I was like yo I want to get your film. But at the time, Warner Brothers had just started an independent distribution arm. And so he was like, well, I just gave the film to, to, to Warner Brothers. I was like, well, I love the way it looked. I want to do more work with you. He was like, oh, well, let me introduce you to my production partner. And that was Eric Thomasunas okay. at Swirl. Mm. So then I hired Swirl for the seven years that I ran um, the Urban Division at Image. Swirl was the only company to do our original productions. Mm. So when I moved to Atlanta with Moguldom, and it didn't work out, I'm just gonna say that it didn't work out, and I decided, so that only lasted nine months. Mm. And while I was down there, so I had moved my son to Atlanta as well. Mm. And so he was in high school down there, and I didn't want, so similar to Phoenix, I didn't wanna just turn right back around and come back to LA. Mm. So I was like, we here, I'm gonna be here until he graduates. Mm. So then I went and had a conversation with Eric at Swirl, and he was like, well listen, half of this is yours anyway. What you wanna do? So I became partners with Eric and Swirl. Mm-hmm. So then that lasted for a year, and then it was just a matter of Swirl uh, at the time went and took um, an exclusive deal with TV One, mm-hmm. And our distribution deal uh, had ended uh, that we had on the other side that I was controlling. Mm. So I was a free agent. He was signing with TV One, and so I was like, "Well, I'm just, just all kind of." Oh man! Oh, <laughs> it, oh listen! And so I was is... like, "I'm just going to 
start my own thing. So I started So Shy Entertainment. Okay. And then I started off just uh, uh, licensing finished films to the various networks. So I had product from, you know, uh, Chris Stokes and, and Novice Distribution and, and various other people and Mark Harris. And, but because I had the relationships at these networks from, from licensing the finished films to them, to them, I started getting into conversations with specifically with BET about producing films for them. And so that's what we went went and did. So we went and got some money, which is very hard to do, by the way. And it sounds easy when people are like, yeah, we went and got some money. We, we I mean, listen, I had to do like 18 months of like research and debts and, and present to people and, you know, present this to this bank and they say no. And then you go to this uh, 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 film credit facility and they say no, or you don't like their terms. And then, you know, this drug dealer over here is like, yo, I could flip something. And you're like, I don't know if I want, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Teach yeah, their own. Yeah, I'm, yeah, hey, listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so we got some funding and we started cranking out films for BET. So as an independent producer, I knocked out eight films in 2018 for BET. And what are those movies? So that for is everybody out here that's listening. That, that's her something. only choice. Uh, um, uh, One Crazy Christmas, Holly Day, Back to the Good Life, um, Fall Girls, Running Out of Time, uh, We Belong Together. Uh, happily ever after, and then twas the chaos before Christmas. Running out of time. Which one was that? That is Tasha Smith and Ron Rico Lee. That was a good well, yeah. one. That's on Netflix. Yeah, yeah I watched yeah. that. I watched that uh, yeah. uh, about a few weeks ago. Yeah, I like how the twist of that yeah. happened. How Ron Rico made it seem like he was with her, like, right. oh, and then it just switched up. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you were basically the you. So something like that. You were the you were able to take that movie and get it license to beat yes and so and so right and so i was the liaison um so when you see like movies like this do you go to like festivals and look at watch the movie well because i've been doing this a while now uh, well well first and foremost i am a professional film festival attendee so i go to eight to nine festivals a year Mm. um but because i've been doing this a while a lot of the filmmakers you know, it's 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 word of mouth and it's references. Mm-hmm. So they hit me automatically before they start shooting films. Like I get so many people at script stage. That's, mm-hmm. like, that's like Brett. I'm about to shoot this. Is there anything I need to change? Do do different? Wow. Should I blah blah blah? Who should I put in it? Wow. And that's actually it's funny. That's how I got. And so while I was producing mm-hmm. through my company, Social Entertainment, I was also doing casting work mm. for a lot of independents mm. because they were like yo you know so i had i had i had these two magic books mm. so these books have like at this point i'm up to about 600 so i have a book that has 600 black uh male actors okay. and i have another book that has 600 female black actors the, 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 con- the info the contact 
Well, yeah, well, just, just, so I, I put them on little magnets, and so it's like, you know, their pictures and their names, and so what I do with these magnets, every film project, I put them up on the board, like a Soul Train board, and I play around with different combinations, mm. and, 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 and because not only am I looking at, you know, how someone can deliver a certain role, I want to see how these people are gonna look together mm. and you know things like that. So it's very visual, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so so yeah, so I've I have done the casting for about 70 independent films. 70 independent films. Yeah. Been doing the cast. So like yeah. for, for instance for double cross. Yeah. So okay, so now in my new role as chief content officer. Okay, yeah, hold on. Before okay. We can get that. Okay. Okay. So her only choice. So this is yeah. like. So boom. When were you appointed? Now, now explain UMC. Okay. So when I was at Image Entertainment from 07 to 2014, Bob Johnson bought the company in October of 2012. Who's Bob Johnson. So Bob Johnson is the founder of BET. And he's a new And he's also a new beta <laughs> beta chapter. See, listen, it listen. Right, right, it, right, it all right, it all right, right, it all right, ties right, together. Yeah, yeah. So Bob, um, and, and and I wanna I wanna say this for the record. When Bob sold BET to Viacom, he became the first black billionaire in United States history. Mm. You know what I mean? So mm. it is what it is. You know, news run it. But um, <laughs> so in October yeah. 2012, he bought Image Entertainment and he changed it to ROJ Entertainment. So we launched UMC, which is a subscription service yeah. dedicated to African American content. Now I remember when I got the Roku mm -hmm. um, in 2015. Yeah. I remember I would see the UMC app. Yeah. On the Roku, and I was like, "What is this?" And it was like Urban Movie Channel. Right. Urban Movie and Channel. And I was like, "Well, let me go and just download this, and there will be like some movies on." So I remember seeing that. Yeah. In 2015. And so it launched in the beginning of 2014. Ooh. And then I left the company within, you know, three months of it launching. So I was there at the beginning, but then I left, went to Atlanta, and then ultimately started producing my own films that I was, you know, ultimately licensing to different networks, including UMC. And so in 2018, while I was knocking out those eight films for BET, um, the executive structure at UMC um, shifted and some people left and they reached out to me and they was like, do you want to come home? And so, you know, and, and it was an opportunity that I felt like, you know, I really, oh, and I have to say this, right before I was offered the current job, AMC Networks AMC. Okay. bought RLJ Entertainment, which mm. included UMC. Mm. So that happened in November of 2018. Mm. And so, you know, AMC Networks have put their money where their mouth is and they doubled down and they made a lot of things available um, for UMC. Mm. 
you know, to do higher quality original productions, go out and license more expensive content. You know what I mean? So those those are things that have been made possible with, with, with the purchase. But ultimately, UMC, uh, the subscription service, we cater to the black female in particular. Okay. Um, we're available, Chromecast, Comcast, iTunes, Google Play, Fire Roku, Stick. Fire Stick, uh, Amazon, you know, and you know, we have a, a, a native platform. If you want to go direct to us, that's umc.tv. You know, if you want to go on your computer, or you can just download the UMC app, mm. you know, on your on your iPad or your tablet or, or your cell phone. So we're 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 virtually everywhere. So we we are on the Apple channels. we yeah. So everywhere. you were appointed uh the, the chief chief content officer. Officer, you were appointed that when? Uh, January of 2019. So how has it been this year for you? 2019. Uh, I mean, it's been an amazing ride. So this first year, um, you know, life is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'll say, you know, we have done a lot of things at UMC this year that had not been done before. Mm-hmm. Um, we started licensing. Um, major studio content mm. like cult classic films. Mm. Um, we started like what's one? So, well, right now, uh, for the month of November, we have Lean on Me, okay. we have um, Above the Rim, mm. and we have uh, Love Don't Cost a Thing. Okay, you know, but every month we're gonna give you something. So, we've had Love and Basketball, we've had Love Jones. All about the Benjamins, mm-hmm. you know, you know. And this we, is on UMC. This is on UMC. Okay. We got Boomerang coming. We got New Jack City coming. We like so every month we're giving you. So we call it classics you must see. Yeah. You know, and yeah. um, so we're doing that. We brought on our first original content, original yeah. UMC exclusive content. Kind yeah. Of thing too, like like a Netflix original. Yeah. So we currently have nine original series on air. Um, we're going to have that are on there right now. And then we're going to have 12 new series on there in 2020. Um, some of the content we have are shows like monogamy or house divided. Um, those have already aired and new seasons uh, will be coming. Um, newer shows that will premiere in 2020. We have double cross. Uh, we have for the love of Jason, Tara Lake drive, uh, behind her faith, trash versus treasure. Like, so, yeah, know, we, it, we going for it. So just to kind of 360 back around or 180 back around to the beginning of the conversation with all this content that has been uh, these platforms, these streaming platforms yeah. that have been, you know, brought up, you know, Apple TV, uh, you know, Amazon Prime, uh, you know all these BT plus BT plus Disney plus yeah. like HBO Max and the thing about yeah. it is I don't see streaming going anywhere yeah well here, here here here's my advice for everybody and I will say this so in my lifetime and, and I'll take I'll take you through music and film on the music side I've lived through the 78, the 45, the 33, the cassette, the CD, 
the MP3 and now streaming, right? Mm -hmm. On the film side, we've gone from projector, well, the projector, the laser disc, the VHS, the DVD, you know, um, and now now we're in streaming. But the one thing to remember is people are always going to want content. Mm. The medium in which they enjoy the content shouldn't matter to you mm -hmm. because that's always going to change. So right now we're streaming, you know, seven years from now, it might be something else. Seven years from then, it might be something else. But at the end of the day, people are going to want to listen to music. They are going to want watch TV and watch movies. You know what I mean? Like that, that that's not going to change, you know, um, but because I, I think a lot of times people put too much emphasis on what the medium is. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you do that, then you're stuck in the, in the old times. Yeah. You just have to, you have to, you know, think, think about adapt. around the corner. You know, like I, I remember the first time I bought a car that didn't have a cassette player in it, but all my music was on cassette. Mm. It didn't stop me. Mm. What, what did I do? I went out and bought CDs. Right, right. You know what I mean? You and adjust, then, and then you, right adjust. There, you adjust. You adjust. But I still, I'm still listening to yeah, music. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's that. That's really same the biggest takeaway. Same way when people had uh, uh what's that? Four, four tracks. The one was that? No, eight tracks. Eight tracks. Yeah. And then you know switch over to cassette. Correct. Yeah. You know, they they just adjusted. Listen, I have vinyl and cassette player. I mean, and, and cassette tapes upstairs right now. Mm but I don't have anything to play them on. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But the dope thing about that is you could, you can go buy a record player. Well, you can go buy I, and you can play them. Or I could type in Google, play the deal two occasions. It's gonna come right on. Spotify, <laughs> Apple Music. Right. Exactly, on yes. the platform yes. that you can stream. Exactly, right. exactly. So as long as things are at, I think now we're getting to a point where, you know, TV, music, as long as it's um, at any person's leisure, yep. being able to, you know, listen to it when they want to, watch it when they want to, right. versus sitting in front of the TV waiting on when a show is coming on. Right. It's like now I, I want to watch her own choice, or I want to watch Double Cross right, right now. Right. You know what I mean? So let me just go ahead and press play, and you can find it, and boom. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, tell me this: What is something uh, as far as uh, words of encouragement for you know? Somebody out there right now listening to this episode that, you know, wants to, you know, embark on the same type of journey or the same type of things that you've, um, you know, jumped out there and began yeah. to do. What are some uh, words of encouragement that you would tell him or her? So, what I, I, I'm going to take this opportunity to, I'm going to give some of the advice that I got. Um, that I took to heart and it has truly helped me. Um, when I was a college rep for Polygram, Chuck D um, had just released his uh, first solo album. His first solo album? Yeah. So this was, this was, this was 96, mm. 96, 97. Mm. And uh, what was it? I it, know you had a solo it, album. Well, right. Well, here was the thing. It, it, it was not a commercial success, but I mean, if you know anything about Chuck D, yeah. he wasn't trying to make commercial music anyway, right? right? right. But um, I set up a couple of um, 
speaking engagements for him at USC and UCLA. And I remember talking to him and he said to me, he said, brother, he said, brother Brett, he said, what do you want to do in this business? And I said, well, I actually want to own my own record company. He said, okay. He said, well, I'm going to tell you this. He said, singing, rapping, you know, performing, writing and producing. He said, those are only three of the jobs in the record business. He said, it's 86 other jobs. He said, go find out what those other 86 are if you really want to run your own record company. And I really took that to heart because I was like, you know, if you look at any, and, and record company or film distribution company, production company, you have a hundred different jobs. You know, whether it's finance, whether it's art, you know, whether it's physical production, whether it's legal, whether it's publicity, marketing, and, and within all of those departments, you have different responsibilities. And if you're gonna be a boss, you better find out what everybody is doing. And because if you don't truly understand what everybody's doing, people can tell you anything. You know what I mean? And so, you know, that is one of the reasons why um, I think I've been so successful in this business. Because when I was in music, I started off as an intern, then I was a college rep, then I was an artist development rep, then I did sales, then I was doing marketing, right? And then I got into AR just to learn all those different departments, but the same thing in film. So from marketing to sales to finance, I, you know, I learned how to do P&Ls and things and budgets and, and you know, uh, acquisitions and contracts. And, you know, and I tell people all the time, so people be like, well, are you a film producer? And I'm like, well, I have produced films and I've done casting, you know what I mean? I've set up the distribution, you know, um, uh, I've done budgets, you know, and, you know, a lot of people cannot say they know all those different areas, you know, and that and that makes me dangerous, you know, and, and because, you know, I can at least have an intelligent conversation with anybody working on this project. You know, now, um, you know, that ties into understanding the business that you want to be in and understanding that you got to do your homework and you might have to read a book or an article or go work for free just to find out how to do something. You know, you, you, you can't, you can't be... Um, you know, you can't ever feel like you are too educated in this business. You can always learn something, you know, because because as somebody that was studying, you know, music industry business in college, 
the people that have worked in the business for 30 years run rings around the people that studied about it in a book. You know what I mean? So imagine if you combine those two, mm-hmm. you're unstoppable. Right. Mm-hmm. So basically, to summarize that up, pretty much learn everything about the business. Absolutely. And learn, it, learn all the positions of what it is that you, that you want to do in the business. And, and that's any business that you any do. Business. Any business that you any do. Any business that, that Absolutely. You do. Don't just stick to doing one thing. Figure out all the other things as well. Yeah. Um, how can people reach you if they want to, you know, contact if they have, you know, a, a, a dope, uh, you know, something that they filmed or mm-hmm. whatever, what, what, email or anything? So, like yeah. So, uh, I'm very direct. Um, any type of finished product, whether it's a film, documentary, stage play, um, TV show, uh, it can be emailed to me directly at my UMC email, and that is bdismuke at umc.tv. So that's B as in boy, D as in David, I S, M as in Mary, U K E at umc.tv. And then, you know, and even when it comes to having a conversation about um, uh, original content, um, if you email me, we can have a conversation about that, but there's a slightly different process that we go through um, because we can't just, you know, don't, don't, don't you, can't just th- you can't just email me scripts. Don't come with that bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, but, that, but that's how it goes. Yeah. I appreciate you. Oh, yeah, for sure, bro. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. Um, you can reach me on my podcast, uh, on my um, IG, at Lounging with Skip Podcast. And I'll make sure, I don't know if you have an IG or whatever, but I'll put that at the bottom okay. on, on, in the description. So until next time, peace.